0: Welcome to another edition of The Realist Report. This is your host, John Friend. Today is Wednesday, December 27th, 2023. Of course, the website is therealistreport.com, where you will find an extensive archive of these podcasts, as well as other programs I participate in. You will also find all of my blog posts and articles, my Twitter feed, which is embedded in the right hand sidebar of the website, a contact page, and many other useful and important links. I am on Twitter and Gab at Realist Report, and you can find me on Telegram at t.me forward slash Report. I am a regular reporter for American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, and I also contribute to and help edit The Barnes Review, a bi monthly revisionist history magazine. Please do subscribe to these fine print publications if you do not already. Check out AmericanFreePress.net and BarnesReview.org for all the details. All right, today I am joined once again by Tim Kelly, host of Our Interesting Times. All right, Tim Kelly, welcome back to the program, sir. How are you today?
1: Very well. Merry Christmas.
0: Yeah, very Merry Christmas to you and your family and, of course, to all of our listeners. And best wishes as we wrap up 2023 and move into another new year. I'll say um, Merry – sorry, I did say Merry Christmas. I'll say Happy New Year to you, of course, and to all of our listeners as well to kind of open the program. Man, it's incredible how time flies. I mean especially the older you get. I know that's sort of a cliche, but it's very, very true.
1: They say actually your perception does change. Your time actually does go faster.
0: Yeah, it certainly does. (laughs) That's that's definitely the case for me, Um, and this year has absolutely flown by. It's crazy. Um, And we've just got a couple days left before we move into 2024. And Tim, you are, of course, the host of Our Interesting Times, as well as Powers and Principalities, which is the weekend show that you do with Joe Atwell. Um, And these are some of the best podcasts in the alternative media, in my humble opinion. I follow you guys on the RSS feed, so I have the shows... downloaded directly to my cell phone. That's a, you know, a good, easy way to, to stay up to speed with your podcast. I'll have a link over to your podcast page, which is through Podomatic that has a list, um, an archive basically of, of all the shows that you've done over the years. And you're usually doing one to two shows a week. I mean, the, the powers and principality show is, is usually on the weekends. And then you usually do one other program where you interview a special guest, and -hmm. have have a discussion during the week. So um, I wanted to mention that you've been on the program numerous times. I'm sure most people listening are familiar with your work. Um, But I did want to just plug your podcast before we get started. Now, I asked you back on to discuss the state of the world as we wrap up 2023. Of course, we have wars raging in both Ukraine and Palestine, wars that began largely due to the influence of U.S. foreign policy and they continue with the full backing of the U.S. Treasury and the U.S. State Department, both of which are run and dominated by Jewish neocons. The lawfare being waged against former President Donald Trump and his supporters, and political dissidents more generally, has reached banana republic levels of absurdity at this point, and of course, all of this is taking place while millions of foreigners from all four corners of the earth flood into America, aided and abetted, of course, by the Biden administration. Meanwhile, if you only watched, you know, like mainstream news and you know, cable television, or just listened to America's bought and paid for politicians, you would actually think that the only major problem confronting the world would be rising levels of anti-Semitism, and that actually. The Jews are the victims of this genocidal ethnic cleansing campaign being waged by Israel's military against the native Christian and Muslims in occupied Palestine. It's like they've totally reversed the situation, which they're very prone to doing. So, Tim, we have a lot to get to, obviously. Um, I don't know if you have have any just sort of opening comments um, before we kind of start off with the war in Ukraine. Uh, No, go right ahead. Okay. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I actually just read an article um, just this morning, actually, that was published by RT. I mean, we've talked about the war in Ukraine. You've done shows on it. Um, We don't got to get into all the details of the history and all that. You know, you can find that in the archives. Um, But I I read this article from RT today, which I thought was a good overview of the situation as we enter a new year. Um, The title here is Dwindling Aid from the West, Total Mobilization and Economic Collapse how Ukraine's 2024 is looking, um, and there have been, um, you know, multiple reports coming out, and, and I mean, it's, it's it's pretty obvious at this point, I think most people in America, I, I'd assume most people in Europe are just sick and tired of giving all of our money to Ukraine. Of course, now with this situation in, in Israel, all our money's got to go to Israel, but we've been giving Israel, or sorry, Ukraine unlimited amounts of money since this conflict began, and again, I mean, this entire situation, I think it's worth pointing out, was totally instigated and provoked by the neocons running the United States federal government that's that that should be obvious and, and, and pointed out to anybody looking at this conflict. So I'm just curious what do you have any any thoughts about the situation in Ukraine I mean Zelensky is continuing to, to go around and beg for more money and I think certainly people in America are getting fed up with this nonsense. America's political class on the other hand seems willing to continue to fork over. Endless piles of cash and the way they like sort of um, frame the conflict um, as, as this like righteous fight for democracy and, you know, we're standing up to the evil Russians it is, is really pretty childish and, and, and ridiculous and a totally unnecessary way of looking at, at the state of the world today.
1: Yeah, the uh... – the fact that we're talking about dwindling aid, but by keeping it going, uh, you know, the, I think Ukraine has lost uh, between fifteen eighteen million people, whether due to attrition or just uh, migration, um, and you know, the uh, level of destruction to the infrastructure, to the economy, uh, to overall Ukrainian society is just appalling, and it was completely unnecessary. And um, What's amazing to me is uh, – well, not amazing, but it should be – is that none of the, uh, the figures that, that uh, provoked this war, fomented this conflict, are going to be held, ac- held accountable for it. You know, I, I think three years – or was it 2022? Yeah, 2022, uh, uh, almost two years ago, uh, 21 months ago if I get that right. Uh, when it started, I, I, I told – I knew it was going to end this way just by looking at a map and knowing what was going on. Uh, uh and you know what had caused the conflict was uh you know this sort of constant expansion eastward after the um dissolution of the uh Soviet Union and the and the Warsaw Pact and the, the breaking of that promise uh, that the Bush administration had given to Gorbachev back in nineteen uh, uh ninety one. Um so it was constant provocations. Uh you know <laughs> just the idea that they'd even consider bringing Ukraine into, into NATO. It's ironically uh this So this is a. Uh, that this conflict and also the conflict in the Middle East has led Turkey to leave NATO. <laughs> so, without much fanfare, for what I understand, it was very controversial. And Turkey got into NATO and they left, and I'm not reading any headlines about it. So, NATO appears to be breaking up over this. It also, the war also uh, occasioned or at least uh, involved uh, the bombing uh, uh, of the, the Nord Stream pipeline, feeding natural gas uh, into, um, into Germany. So, uh, uh, which is a member of NATO, and apparently Germany was attacked by another member of NATO.
0: <laughs> yeah, one of one of the it's one like, of the greatest acts of industrial sabotage, industrial terrorism mm-hmm. ever ever committed.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh But this huge, what, what you know, what do we make of the Ukraine war? Ukraine, you know, Ukraine Russia war. Well, it was fomented by the West, um, and it, it became a huge money pit, right? uh there's no accounting where the money's going uh i you know i think probably 2 thirds of the money stays in washington dc it just circulates through ngos and various well connected people who are involved in organizations that get the money uh you you guess we can give them more money the problem is i don't think they have any more men
0: um, yeah so. i i yeah exactly i read a report that zelensky i mean and this has been there there have been reports coming out about this subject really since the war began just struggling to find anybody that's willing to go fight on the on the front lines and and think about this conflict i mean th- this is like old school like world war 1 style trench warfare this is brutal mm-hmm. horrific again totally unnecessary totally provoked by the west by the neocons running the state department i mean o- almost like they 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 openly like state this it's not like some secret this is exactly the sort of thing that they wanted. They've been they're they're driven by this fanatical hatred of Russia, and the you know the, their whole strategy revolves around preventing Russia from taking its proper place on the world stage. I think. Yeah. Well, look 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 at a, look at a freaking map. Russia is a huge.
1: It's just a geopolitical reality. You know, whoever controls Russia, it's a geopolitical reality, and those you know centuries old. Conflicts or disputes over territory and position are going are, always reassert themselves throughout history, whether it's under Stalin or under the Czars or under, under Putin. Um, and if you look at the Ukraine, it's Russian frontier, and it's it's you know it's kind of always been that way. It's older. Russia has controlled Ukraine longer than the United States has been in existence. You know. Um, right.
0: Well, and, and yeah, uh, and there's a lot of similarities between the two peoples. I mean they're basically ethnic cousins. I mean, Particularly
1: in the eastern part of Ukraine,
0: yes. Right, yeah. I mean the people in like Donbass in the eastern part of the country, um, a, a, a significant majority of them actually speak Russian. Ukrainian from what I understand is more or less like a dialect of Russian itself. Mm. So these people are very related, not only culturally, linguistically – Historically, I mean, it's it's just absurd. Our foreign policy is is totally uh, not only contrary to the interests of America, contrary to the interests of world peace, but totally unnecessary. I mean, it does not have to be this way. It it, it is this way because we have these fanatical Jewish neocons provoking Russia and provoking and stoking these sorts of conflicts.
1: Mm-hmm. completely uh war is completely yeah completely unnecessary, avoidable war.
0: Right. And, you know. and and that's been the case from day one, yeah.
1: yeah. And, you know, like I said, Putin's been warning the West for more than 20 years. Uh, the moment that Russia was able to get back on its feet and push back a little bit, all of a sudden he becomes the new Hitler, you know, uh, which just goes to show that you show any resistance, any opposition to uh, their agenda, you, be, you become, you know, uh, a Hitler, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, opposing uh, NATO expansion. And arming countries right on Russia's doorstep, or if you oppose, you know, mutilating children and uh, turning boys into girls and boys uh, girls into boys, or you oppose, you know, uh, you know, uh, gay rights, and you're 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 a Hitler, and you know. So, yeah, I think it was uh, Marilyn – Who was that Maryland congressman who said that uh, Putin needed to be dist- uh, defeated because Putin, uh, Russia itself, Putin's Russia represents. Uh, the primary opposition to LGBTQ rights in the world.
0: Was that the Jew <laughs> Jamie Raskin? That Jamie said Raskin. That, I think? Yeah, yeah. Jamie
1: Raskin said that. Was it, really? Yeah, no, that's...
0: Uh, yeah. How appropriate. I mean, how revealing. And, and I mean, that's that's how these people think. I mean, that's really, what democracy
1: that's... is. Yeah. You oppose democracy, you oppose. Um, you know, it's drag Creed story hour. It's uh, it's sodomy in the Senate.
0: You know. That's... Right. Yeah, <laughs> and and that, that and that is like literally going on. Yeah. Huh? Um, yeah, well, this whole conflict is real and, and this kind of ties in to the situation in, in Palestine which which we'll kind of move into next. Um, but this whole this whole conflict in Ukraine has really sort of exposed this unipolar world order system for what it is, and it's basically the the Jews running America dictating to the world you know how things are going to be. Yes yeah, so the,
1: the, the rules based orders follow our rules.
0: Right. Follow our rule exactly. Do what we say. Otherwise, well, we're going to invade your that, country, or yeah. or With fund Russia. and instigate a, a you know a proxy army or a proxy yeah. NGO to overthrow your government. They thought they could cancel Russia, like
1: they cancel I don't know, like a some dissident right figure on the internet. You know, like I don't know, like Nick Fuentes. You could cancel, uh, de-platform Russia. Uh, you can't use our our Swift payment systems. Uh, you're uh, we're going to cut you off from our fast food restaurants and uh we're going we're, we're going to cut off a hub porn hub <laughs> you know uh and Russia seemed to bounce back and do quite well uh, so also they've shown a capacity just for for uh supplying military hardware
0: Absolutely. yeah and you know speaking of that like the whole sanctions campaign i mean right from the very beginning remember when the us like seized russia's foreign reserves yeah. which which were, were was basically money that the Russian government like the sovereign wealth fund of the Russian government w- was essentially just taken by mm-hmm. the west i mean a lot of this money was in western banks and um th- this i mean this really caused a major ripple in in the the global geopolitical ordering and just you know global you know finance um and, and really led a lot of people to question the stability and, and the long-term prospects of this order where the west can just basically seize you know whatever assets any foreign any foreign government has overseas at the drop of a hat. So it's it sort of led to this like multi and you hear a lot of talk about like the multipolar world order which to me is really um an in an, an interesting concept. I don't know if it's been, you know, totally implemented. I still Look at the world today and see the U.S. basically dictating how things are going to be and in Israel more or less running the show and, and this sort of thing. But it is an interesting concept and I think that there is this sort of budding alliance between Russia and China and the BRICS nations to sort of challenge this unipolar world order. And I think that frankly is a very positive development and probably one of the the, the highlights of the past year I think. Well, yeah, the U.S. has had
1: enjoyed what they call it, uh, 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 the um, exorbitant privilege. There's a term that was developed to describe its, uh, the U.S. Uh, position in the world, primarily based on on the uh, the petrodollar, and uh, what that what system required was sort of uh, responsible, uh, well balanced, uh, basically adults in the room, <laughs> and the adults being the adults in the room. You know, uh, which is kind of ironic. Cause I don't know. Maybe because the the people running the U.S. empire are so are so um, uh, dysfunctional and incompetent that they're actually doing less damage than like a Henry Kissinger or Brzezinski Brzezinski uh, could do back in the '70s and '80s, 60s, 70s and '80s. Um, but the fact that you know the uh, all the this, you know they they could uh, impose sanctions on more and more countries. That the more you do that, the more people are are going to move out from under the dollar. And that's going to undermine the U.S.'s economic position in the world and ultimately its position to control events, which we're seeing now uh, play out in the the Middle East uh, and also in Ukraine. Um, But the type of people running U.S. foreign policy are not the type of people you want dictating events or controlling events because they have different – they have a particular ethnic agenda that doesn't align with the interests of the United States or or the rest of humanity for that matter.
0: Right, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see. I think there's definitely a lot more um, skepticism of the U.S. I mean, and there there has been for a long time in in you know countries like Iran. Well, and, right now the in
1: they, other places was it Yemen? The Houthis uh, you know, are are challenging the U.S. Empire just by uh, threatening to sink a few container ships in the Red Sea, and they're only demanding their only demand is. Uh, that Israel uh, uh, declare a, a ceasefire and allow humanitarian aid to get to the Palestinians. It's not a, 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 a it's not a, a, you know, a crazy demand. It's a, it's rather, fairly reasonable. It's what, what most, what maybe most people want. Um, but now, instead of doing that, the Biden administration, you know, reportedly is considering uh, carrying out military action against the Houthis in Yemen. You know, yeah,
0: yeah, I, and I, and I've seen reports about um you know U.S. strikes in Iraq. I mean, there's been attacks on U.S. bases. I mean, I don't. We Blood shouldn't we shouldn't Iraq. we shouldn't be in Iraq anyways. We shouldn't be in Syria. We shouldn't be in Why any have, of these countries. Yeah. Why do we base here in Iraq? I know. <laughs> it's exactly. Like, <laughs> it's like of course you're gonna get attacked if you're. But you know what I mean? Like they're they're they're. I mean, and and they've been trying to drag the U.S. into this Middle East conflict from the very beginning. I mean, that's what 9/11 was all about to justify and implement this uh, concept of a global war on terrorism, which was literally concocted by Benjamin Netanyahu himself and these other Zionist fanatics and their neocon brethren in the West going back to like the late 1970s, they were cooking up this scheme. And of course, they talked about the need for a new Pearl Harbor to justify it and really get it going. And of course, that's exactly what 9-11 was. Um, And and since this quote-unquote surprise attack on October 7th by hamas um from day one they've been trying to 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 get the us involved i mean there were unconfirmed reports coming out in the media talking about how iran was actually really behind this and they you know they sponsored hamas and gave them money and training and funding and logistical support and stuff like this so yeah they've been they've been trying to get the us involved and that that strategy continues and the us basically is involved i mean We've given Israel tons of money, tons of weaponry. I think I just read a report. It was um, what was it? Ten thousand. I think it was ten thousand, ten thousand tons of military equipment have been has been shipped to Israel from the U.S. since the conflict began. Well, who's who? How is it, Who's paying for that? Well, the U.S. taxpayer is. If there's even any money left at this point, I mean, it's all well. They it's borrowed money yeah right the the whole mo-
1: you know debt-based money system is that when they whenever they st- decide to spend five, ten, fifteen, thirty, forty, forty-five, fifty billion 30 40 forty five 50 billion more they just they just print the money or they they create it a, you know on a key on keyboards and it's yeah, borrowed exactly I, for, presumably it's borrowed i mean i don't know maybe, maybe there's black money somewhere i don't know but drug money but i'm assuming what they're doing they're just monetizing uh, uh treasury bonds that that the treasury prints up and then they they just monetize it, and then uh, we, uh, we 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 got to pay the interest on that <laughs> uh, for bailing Israel out, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's it is absolutely ridiculous. But I mean, this is something that's been going on for a long time. I mean, really mm-hmm. since the creation of the state of Israel. And and speaking of this is uh, just a, a recent report. This actually was just published the other day by the Algaminer, which is a Jewish news outlet. The headline here is Gaza war will continue for, quote, many months, Israel's military chief says.
1: They call they, it a war.
0: Yeah, they call it a war. It's, w- I mean, w- sorry, w- what's the other army? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's so it's tragic. Millions. It's so tragic war. what's going on over there. And there's been a lot of fake news and fake atrocity propaganda that's come out, which is something that I want to talk about um, here in just a moment. Um, but there are some very real Horrific, um, actual atrocities being committed by the Israelis against the Palestinians, and they're just openly admitting that this is basically an ethnic cleansing campaign. You know, the the people of Gaza need to get out of the Strip. They need to go to Egypt, or, well, or I think maybe to Western to, there were,
1: Europe or America. Yeah, there was, yeah, there was that intelligence. Uh, I think it was the intelligence bureau or some some sort of think tank. Israeli think that openly talked about the finally uh, sending these refugees uh, to Europe. Or the United States—that's where they'll be uh, 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 removed. They'll be uh, right. transferred to. So the, you know that's that. But that's the same. Well, you know, Israel, along with the United States, disrupts the Middle East and North Africa. Then Europe, United States has a migration crisis with refugees.
0: Yeah, the whole invade the world, invite the world madness that could only come from the mind of a Jewish neocon. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. How absurd this is. Yeah, we're going to go invade Syria and then welcome them all as refugees into our country the same people were supposed to be fighting over there yeah it's it's total madness and that's been a key pillar of this whole global war on terrorism paradigm since you know since 911 really it, and, and and we and see it, that it, at the border today with people from literally every corner of the earth coming to mexico and trying to get into the country and 12, being a and being yeah else. and being actively facilitated by the federal government, put on flights and flown into the interior of the yeah. country. I mean this is madness. Yeah, there's an, a, a, a,
1: an entire infrastructure network of NGOs, government agencies that are facilitating this in complete uh, you know, in contradiction to their duty, you know, to, to the constitution of the laws of the land. So you, you want to talk about an insurrection and treason. This is the real insurrection and treason we're seeing here. Um, right. It's been carried out. By the governments that are, that are at the very least they should they should protect the border, that's one thing they should the governments are supposed to do uh, they're not doing that
0: no uh, absolutely they're they're doing the opposite they're act, act actually facilitating the invasion of the country it's yeah I mean it couldn't it couldn't be more obvious and um, I mean I, I don't know what the solution is. I think the solution is for the states to you know to states like Texas and Arizona and and, and any state for that matter. … to start enforcing immigration law and, and arresting and deporting illegals as they are apprehended. And in fact, I, for, I just read a story um how Texas is actually trying to do that, mm-hmm. and immediately they're being sued to prevent them from actually enforcing the law.
1: Yeah. so law which, which doesn't
0: surprise me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: But you have – again, you have a, a federal government that's dedicated. I mean how do you think the demographics change so sort of drastically… Since 1965, in the United States, you know, uh,
0: it's a state-sanctioned policy that's very well financed and very mm-hmm. well incentivized.
1: Well, you know, it's they've been talked about in Europe. Uh, you know, Barbara Leonard spector talked, you know, said and said her people, the Jews, are going to be front and center, and they're going to be disliked for it. Then, when they're disliked for it, people will comment on the spike in anti-Semitism, and they'll say, "Why is it spiking?" <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Well, you
1: told us why, When you said you're going to be resented for it. Again, their, their definition of anti-Semitism is simply criticism for Jewish behavior. You
0: know. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, <laughs> that's another topic that I definitely mm. want to talk about as well. Um, let me just quote this really quick. This is from that uh, the Algemeiner article. It says, Israel's war against the Hamas terror group in Gaza will likely continue for several months, the Israeli military chief said on Tuesday quote, the war will go on for many months and we will employ different methods to maintain our our achievements for a long time. Herzi Halevi, chief of staff of the Israel Defense Forces, told reporters in a televised statement on the Israel-Gaza border, quote, there are no magic solutions. There are no shortcuts in dismantling a terrorist organization, only determined and persistent fighting, he said. Um, And they've been talking about how they will, and and they, this is just—they're openly saying this. I mean, I, I wrote a report for American Free Press a couple issues ago, um, you know, where the Wall Street Journal was quoting Israeli officials, the you know, the, the the Times of Israel, some Jewish publications were quoting Israeli officials, how they have a global assassination campaign to target Hamas's political leadership around the world in Qatar and other countries in the Middle East and even in Europe. Um, so they—they've made very clear their intentions. They are going to violate every every form of international law to obtain their objectives, including bombing innocent civilians and refugees. And I mean, we've seen all sorts of reports coming out about hospitals being targeted and schools being targeted and refugee centers being targeted and journalists being killed and humanitarian workers being killed. It's absolutely outrageous that this is going on. I think right now it's over 20,000 people have died just since October 7th. Um, I don't know if you really have any comments on the origins of this or like the, like how this broke out. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about this being some sort of like false flag or something like that. I don't I don't really know if that's even um, provable at this point. I think it's I think basically the the, the the main story, the main narrative of Hamas launching this horrific attack on Israel, has been majorly overblown. Um I mean immediately they were talking about beheaded babies mm-hmm. and mass rapes and other atrocities which have basically been as fake as the official Holocaust story at this point. You know there's absolutely no evidence to document any of this. It's all hearsay, it's all quote unquote eyewitness testimony. It's all fabricated imagery, fabricated testimony.
1: Yeah, I think the primary suspicion or much of the suspicion is based on the understanding that uh, Hamas was created uh, by Israeli military intelligence. I think Shin Bet created them as a counter to the PLO Fatah as sort of a a, um, a, a religious fundamentalist, uh, uh, I guess, counterpoise or opposition to competition with the PLO because they're in the business. But then the PLO was always sort of compromised – it's one of these things where it's hard to understanding at what point uh, it, are these groups being uh, manipulated? Like the IRA in Ireland was manipulated, a lot infiltrated. So it's a lot of blurred lines here. But you know, at what point did, do you, uh, is this group actually independent? At what point is, is it being manipulated? as being part of a dialectic, sort of a, tre- a uh, strategy of tension? Um, uh, so, but, so Hamas's origins at least have support with with, with with Israel, which a lot of people don't know about. Same with like ISIS. Getting supported by Israel, you know, in Syria, you know, uh, to go after the uh, you know, go after the Assad regime, which is secular. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the the most what most people don't understand is Israel actually likes the fact when these sort of religious extremist fundamentalist groups are active because uh, they don't really present a real political um, opposition or they have less of a potential to forming a cohesive state, which is one thing the Israeli policy has been uh, determined or at least uh, designed for is, uh, you know, it's own on the non plan where you break apart cohesive Arab states and you uh, create micro states that are, that are anarchic and can't present any opposition It's what the current situ- situation is now. And what us intervention since 2003, maybe or further back 1991 has facilitated. So us intervention has always primarily uh resulted in, in, in Israel benefiting, although I don't – maybe some of the things like with the invasion of Iraq where they created the, the, the Shia crescent, I don't know if that – maybe perhaps that was that was not foreseen because remember when they took out Saddam's re- regime in Iraq, that was a Sunni regime, a minority Sunni regime. Well, once that government was taken out uh, and Shias, the Shiites were to take over, they would naturally form an alliance with Iran, which is Shia. So right, uh, yep. you know, for the longest time, the idea was to get the Sunni government in Iraq to fight the Shia government in, in in Iran, and divide and conquer. And so that when the, you know, the U.S. invasion of Iraq kind of messed that up, then you had the problem in Syria, I think developed out of the Shia crescent, if I recall. Uh, but then again, they never they never held accountable for their strategic mistakes. Um, they just manipulate them further, but the um, the uh, yeah, sure, I do think what happens is the raid itself, uh, you know, was a shock to many, but it might have been a shock to everybody. Meaning that there might have been elements within the Israeli government that uh, kind of knew it, and maybe something happened. They got more than, than they bargained for with the raids. That's a possibility. But at right. this point, it's just yep. point. At this point it's a speculation because one thing is they reported the raids being so devastating. And say, so, well, wait a second. You have this uh, you know, elaborate defense systems with you know with cameras and monitoring. Why are you so incompetent? We have comments from Israeli generals saying that the IDF is really uh, not really a capable fighting force anymore. It you know it's a, it's not really a military. It's an occupying force, which is a different thing. Uh, you know, fighting armies is different than shooting civilians. Know, shooting a Palestinian child in the eye, or taking out their knees, or something—that's what they're renowned for doing. Or, uh, so it's what you know—it's who knows at this point whether you know because uh, immediately uh, the uh, the Benjamin Netanyahu's government you know benefited uh, benefited from because people rallied around it you know because because of the attack. But then again, a lot of the uh, the uh, claims of Israelis are exaggerated. Like how many people are killed? It turns out that most of the people killed Israelis killed. During the raid, are actually killed by uh, the IDF, part of the Hannibal uh, 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 directive. Don't let you know they, they don't want anyone being taken prisoners, so they just kill everybody and sort of the uh, sort of the mayhem that ensued. But it, but be that as it may, the raid was only one day, if I recall, right? Right. So why here we are? This was in October. Here we are, headed into January 2024, and they're still pounding. Uh, palace, uh, uh, sorry, Gaza and destroying all the buildings infrastructure well, they're doing that because they're using that raid as a pretext to ethically cleanse Gaza to make it so no one can possibly go back yep and at this point and they and, and
0: they yeah and they're being pretty clear about that that's not yeah they've said it secret it. strategy yeah exactly no um, well and and that's and and that's i mean that's really been their goal from the beginning but now it's just you know they find it is i mean and to a certain extent it is sort of similar to you know, it's been described from the beginning as Israel's 9/11. How everything mm-hmm. will change after this, and to a certain extent, that that is true. It, it, it looks like they're using this to to more or less implement their long-running goal of ethnically cleansing the entire the entire historic nation of Palestine, yeah, and, and creating this yeah this like Jewish supremacist state. Um, and and this was just the excuse or the event that that led to that, you know, that well, and allowed that Jews. to happen. In order
1: for the Jewish supremacy state to continue to exist and expand in that area, the Jewish the diaspora throughout the world has to make sure that all the Western countries are Jewish supremacy states because they can't uh, brook or tolerate any criticism. Because naturally what Israelis are doing in Gaza, uh, underwritten by the United States of course, so the United States government uh, is complicit in the crimes being committed in Gaza, uh, it's going to create a lot of criticism, a lot of protesting, especially because – Israeli policies, or at least Jewish policy in promoting mass immigration, third world immigration, you know, people of color immigration into the West, particularly the United States, has created large pockets of Muslims, brown people, if you will, who are very unhappy with Israel and can't be guilt-tripped like white people, and they'll they'll continue speaking up. And we're seeing that in various college campuses, like Harvard. So now we have all this hysteria about anti-Semitism, apparently, on the uh, in the Ivy League, even though the Ivy League has. has Schools have long since been been taken over, dominated by Jews. They control the money, as we see. They can they enjoy all the institutional power of these of you know within these schools, these universities. But we're told that some of these schools are anti-Semitic. I mean, it's,
0: <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, it's it's absurd. Yeah. I mean, that's really been like the two major narratives, um, at least in the West, as a result of this conflict are. That that actually the Jews are the victims here, it, it, you know, in America, like you know, rising levels of anti-Semitism. That's all you ever hear about.
1: We cannot have free and speech then, in the United States because free speech would inevitably produce anti-Semitism because people will criticize Jews, and definition of anti-Semitism is just mere criticism of Jews.
0: Right, exactly. I mean, that's basically what it, what it amounts to, and that and that's really been like the talking point that you hear from all the politicians, from the mass media, of course you know this is directly coming from groups like the anti-defamation league who for some reason seem to have an in in with all of these all of these major players in the federal government and the mass media it's like they just regurgitate for, ADL for some talking reason, points the ADL advises the
1: FBI on law enforcement and they'll tell them who the who the uh, you know the terrorists are who the enemies are who the domestic terrorists are and they all tend to be christian and white people You know, white Christians, particularly Catholics, apparently. Now the ADL liaising with the FBI and the Justice Department, and lo and behold, the FBI and the Justice Department are targeting Catholics. Wow! So you have a Jewish group (laughs) telling the FBI who the bad guys are. Apparently, they're telling the bad the FBI the bad guys are Catholics. Wow! Uh, (laughs) And then you have the ADL, you know, uh, meeting with the various tech companies, Google, and uh, you know. They're still going after Twitter, even though, uh, uh, you know. Elon Musk pretty much just give them everything they want. Uh, but apparently, the ADL is in a position to tell Twitter what people should be able to say.
0: Now, why is that? Who is the ADL? <laughs> right.
1: Well, the the, the, the ADL,
0: public discourse is right. Well, the ADL and these other top Jewish groups, and there there are many. There are literally hundreds across the country operating. Um they're literally sitting in the White House developing this national strategy to combat anti-Semitism. Well, yeah, last May.
1: You know, when it was that Jewish Heritage Month or something? And they announced a national strategy to combat anti-Semitism. These which, are which, these which, are the which, priorities
0: which, of the federal government. Yeah,
1: Which required a whole of government approach to lecturing people on anti-Semitism. That they didn't invite anyone else. They didn't invite any non-Jews or people who are critical of Jews. You think of, you know, If you're studying the phenomenon of anti-Semitism, you might want to ask people why they have anti-Semitic thoughts. What I mean by anti-Semitic thoughts is critis- people who are critical or are, are skeptical of Jewish power. Might there be a reason for this? Might there be some logical reason why people aren't happy? And by the way, well, it's, they're, not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not broadly supported by the media. This is something that they're just bringing up. What they're responding to is the relatively tiny – Uh, I guess pushback they're getting on social media compared to their control of Hollywood, network news, academia apparently. We know how much they control academia because now Harvard tolerates a few protests in response to what the Israelis are doing, and all of a sudden all these American Jewish billionaires are pulling their funding and putting on pressure. They actually got
0: Congress to have hearings about it. Yeah, no, I, exactly. Yeah. And, and the Anti-Defamation League and all these other Jewish groups are being consulted. Here's an article that was just published a few days ago, where the ADL is literally lecturing these college presidents um, to protect Jewish students' civil rights, to crack down on anti-Semitism. They say there's not enough consequences for people that are critical of Israel bombing babies and, and murdering innocent men, women, and children in Gaza, or who are critical of U.S. foreign policy. This Israel right or wrong, you know, pro-Israel foreign so policy. So, for, if you're a Jewish,
1: you're a Jewish American student, and you hear someone saying something bad about Israel, that's a violation of civil rights.
0: According to them, yeah, basically. You know, of you know.
1: But well, that's not the standard. The standard is the Brandenburg standard, meaning that the, you know, the, without a direct threat, there's free speech. But the, I, you know, I, I think they're like anything. I think the threats they're getting are, are either exaggerated or they're doing themselves. Like, hey, what's you doing there, Rabbi? That's that sort of thing. False flag, with it just to, you know, just to raise awareness, as they say. Um, but what they're saying is just the, the protest on a college campus is is a threat to Jews, and therefore they, the, the protest needs to be uh, quashed.
0: Stop. Well, Greenblatt, Jonathan Greenblatt um, of the ADL, the CEO of the ADL wrote a letter to um, like, I don't know exactly who, but apparently it was like all the top, you know, Ivy League schools and, and other big, big universities and, and colleges across America. Um, and, and he said um, that that students engaging in this, quote unquote, anti-Semitic behavior, and he frames it as like, you know, Jewish students being harassed or intimidated um or or assaulted all of which I, I don't really know of any exa- like genuine examples of I mean yeah, yeah. It, basically they say you know if if you hold a sign saying you know an, an anti-Israel sign or or participate in some demonstration protesting Israel's genocidal genocidal campaign in Gaza that's harassing a Jewish student or, yeah, yeah. or intimidating a Jewish student to them yeah so ADL is running cover for Israel.
1: By inv- uh, by invoking Jewish American students' rights, but technically speaking, a Jewish American student shouldn't have anything has no real connection to Israel, right? Other than oh, oh, he does. Okay, right. So, Jew- yeah. so Jew- Jews are different then, and as as Jonathan Greenblatt is admitting here, so he's running cover for the state of Israel. Why doesn't he, why is not his organization first register as a foreign agent when they're they're lobbying for the state of Israel? Obviously. If they, they're putting pressure to bear on college campuses to suppress protests, that might have—and I—I I say might—I don't really think it will—have effect have have some impact on how Congress votes on various aid packages to Israel or resolutions. He's lobbying on the, on the behalf of the State of Israel, you right? Know? Oh yeah, but absolutely. The last president that pressured, you know, I think back then it was American Zionist organization to uh, wasn't ADL. Oh, oh no, sorry, yeah, it wasn't. Well, it was APAC. The last president to pressure a Jewish group that was lobbying on behalf of Israel to register as a foreign agent got his head blown off. So.
0: Yeah, John F. Kennedy, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, so did his younger brother. So. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I'm sure you saw that. Um, there have been a slew of these House resolutions condemning anti-Semitism and, you know. Declaring America's unwavering support for Israel and this and that, declaring Hamas a a terrorist organization, et cetera, uh, since this conflict began. You saw the one where it basically equated um, criticizing Israel with Mm anti-Semitism. Yeah, and and Thomas Massey was one of the few – gosh, he might have been the only congressman that voted expressly no – on this resolution, and he was vilified as this, you know, anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist promoting tropes about Jews and this and that. Um, he posted that uh, that meme on Twitter um, shortly before voting no on that resolution, basically showing how the, the U.S. government, at least the Congress, and I mean, really, you could argue the entire federal government, clearly just openly puts the interests of Israel and, and, and Jews in America ahead of average Americans. And, and that's on, on vivid display. I mean well, any form of criticism, any form of pushback is they, – they've pathologized it. They, that's what they do. They pathologize any form of criticism against them. They Just as they've pathologized any form of positive, healthy, pro-white or pro-Christian racial or religious identity, mm-hmm. that's been pathologized as some bigoted, backwards, hateful –… supremacist mindset when it's actually a very normal and healthy and legitimate mindset to have. Yeah, just merely pressing your rights,
1: acknowledging you may have some rights some interests that the government should represent is supremacy. Um, Forcing the, the border of the United States is supremacy. I mean <laughs> – well, 16 – I think more than 16 resolutions on behalf of the State of Israel since I think Mike Johnson – became speaker uh, in October. I think his first action as speaker was to uh, – actually was to clarify his devotion to Israel. Uh, not one resolution has been passed, not even a, a rhetorical resolution in, in, in shoring up or defending the American bo- – a uh, southern border, which is being overrun as we speak.
0: Let alone any concrete plan of action to <laughs> to no. stop this madness, yeah.
1: In fact the federal government's involved them, in, and they talk about we need to like um enforce the border, we need to manage the border. what they want is we, they want to facilitate and improve the process by which uh f- you know people are, are 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 flooded into the country you know uh yeah you know and so again there's no uh desire there's no political will or desire on Capitol. To to do that, but there is uh, almost unanimous support for Israel being able to defend its borders. <laughs> well, even expand its to borders. expand its borders,
0: yeah. <laughs> to, to expand its borders
1: of offense, yeah.
0: and and murder tens of thousands of, of innocent, largely defenseless people, yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's absolutely outrageous. Um. So yeah, I mean that's been a major theme. I mean we've seen just the, it's like nonstop. You know, as I mentioned in the beginning, like if you just watch mainstream news, you'd think that anti-Semitism was like the only problem in the country. Yeah, pointing out the uh,
1: the uh, pointing this out, pointing out the uh, the United States government's devotion, the slavish de- devotion to the state of Israel, is anti-Semitic, and that becomes the anti-Semitic crisis. You know, the fact that the U.S. government would announce a whole-of-government approach, a national strategy to combat anti-Semitism, tells you that anti-Semitism is not a problem. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a national strategy to combat anti-Semitism. <laughs> It, it contradicts itself. Meaning, all the power, institutional power of the federal government, is being used to promote Jewish interests. Then we're told it's anti antisemitism problem. I mean, you know, it's like, like I said, if white supremacy were a thing, no one would be talking about it. It would just be the way things are, right? I mean, uh, uh, you know, so that's that's why Jewish supremacy is a thing. It's not openly talked about in polite company because it's the it's the current order. It's the current dispensation, if you will. It's what everyone expects, the norm. We expect yeah, 16 resolutions, Congress you're praising Israel. We expect everyone to say we – I'm devoted to Israel. That's that's just the norm. And to say something differently, just to suggest like Thomas Massey does in a tweet, he's condemned by Chuckie Schumer as being what? Anti-Semitic.
0: You know. Right, exactly. Well, I mean it's like the most – critical topic facing the world. And it's the one that you're not allowed to openly talk about without Mm -hmm. being, you know, hysterically denounced as an anti-Semite. And that's actually something um, I wanted to bring up as well. Um, You've been doing a number of shows on this concept of Jewish hysteria. And I think that's a very, very good way of looking at the way they react to anybody that even slightly diverges from any of their narratives. Yeah. It is a hysterical mindset. These people are not rational. Um, they engage in some of the most egregious forms of psychological abuse. I mean in gaslighting. I mean literally think about like the tactics that they use. They just get up and tell the biggest lies and expect you to go along with it. And if you don't, you're some crazy conspiracy theorist. I mean yeah, that's co- basically yeah, co- their strategy.
1: Collectively speaking, the Jewish people are psychopathic. Yeah, the, the way they or,
0: operate in society, yeah.
1: Yeah, and if you see, there was an article written by Laurent Gurnau. I think it was translated uh, by, um, what's his name? He's,
0: Kevin Barrett.
1: Kevin, thank you, Kevin yeah. Barrett. Uh, and he talked. He talked about the traits of a psychopath, psychopathy itself, and he just examined what the traits are, the behavior, and it applies to the organized Jewish community. The inability to empathize, the inability to see in, anyone else, anyone else having legitimate interest, inability to, uh, to have any informed introspection, um, and just the shamelessness of it all. And that it applies directly to, uh, you know, people like Jonathan Greenblatt and ADL and, you know, APAC and, you know, uh, uh the, uh, uh, the Israeli government and, yeah, and just this. And I don't know if the sort of the hysteria and the psychopathy, it could be just sort of, Opportunism, cynicism, but you're right. I think also there's there's sort of a neurotic element to it where they they actually think this way. I think uh, yeah, partic- particularly particularly the, the the middle level people. I think the people higher up know that's all BS, so just a cynical power play. You know, some of them actually believe, and you know, I would say a good portion, probably majority, still believe in something like the Holocaust. You know, although they're, again, it's like like anything, it's very fuzzy and it's, it doesn't. There's no coherence and there's no real one clear narrative to it. It's just you know something very bad happened in World War II and we're we're you know we're history's victims now and we can never we can never again never again never again. And if you want to debate it, talk about it, you know analyze it, deconstruct it if you will, uh, you're just a Holocaust denier. They they develop these terms these uh, sort of these uh, uh, forbidden um, I guess categories of thought. Like Holocaust denial. Deborah Lipstadt actually is an expert on it. <laughs> yeah, into, they have entire industries. A, yeah. Well, she she actually holds a position at the State Department, presumably gets a government paycheck. Was it the national uh, – international envoy to combat anti-Semitism or something? Yeah, so, yeah.
0: It's like an ambassador-level I mean, position, yeah.
1: So U.S. has an ambassador-level position to press Jewish interests, solely Jewish interests, and we're told that there's, a, there's an anti-Semitic problem in the United States? I mean
0: yeah it's it's absurd, I mean, and it's amazing that people can't see through this. I think there are more and more people seeing through it and and certainly we see that with just this uh negative reaction to Israel's you know military campaign in Gaza. It's waking a lot of people up to just the reality of, of who mm-hmm. these people are and and what they're all about, and their whole mindset is is fundamentally ingrained in them, in, in this like historical narrative of persecution and the Holocaust, you know, of course yeah. that's epitomized by the Holocaust. I actually, I was going to email this to you. I should have, um, the other day, I just, uh, I, I follow the times of Israel and they have a, a blog section where they have, you know, various people, um, contribute. This was an, 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 a, an op-ed on their blog written by a man named Raphael Cohen, uh, Raphael Cohen Almagor, who is a doctorate student at Oxford University. He's also the president of the Association for Israel Studies. Um, and, you know, he's a allegedly some big scholar on on Israel or whatever. <laughs> this is the headline. There is a need to ban Holocaust denial. Um, so they're just like openly proclaiming that, you know, you cannot question the Holocaust. This is central to our identity. It's central to our entire paradigm of the world that we've – forced on the West, certainly on America and Western Europe. Um, you know, that, that's what this all boils down to. This this fake paradigm of the Holocaust and World War II is really the bedrock of, of virtually all the all the policy we see and, and all the other narratives that sort of come out of this. So, so he's arguing that that's why Holocaust denial needs to be banned. Yeah, the, I mean, the title of the article is There is a Need to Ban Holocaust Denial. It's very, very poorly written, actually. I was... Not impressed with it at all. Well, uh, okay.
1: But it, okay. If, if it's such a r- solid case, why do you have to ban it? Why can't you just deal with the criticism and counter,
0: counter right. it? Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's like that Clara Finkelstein. At, I think she was at uh, Penn State. Uh, she was a, a t- uh, she's a professor there, and she's, one of her positions is uh, something on free thought and expression on campus. But in this case… Uh, Anti-Semitism and needs to be, um, I guess, these protests. Anti- Anti-Semitism needs to be banned. So then you many
0: su- many such cases on both the left and the right where they're yeah. all for free speech on everything except for, of course, criticizing Jews or criticizing Israel. Well, what Israel. constitutes
1: like what constitutes anti-Semitism and criticism? What constitutes Holocaust denial? If you what if you deny uh, gas chambers? Well, problem is gas chambers are kind of. Now I admitted that, that that was that didn't happen. But uh, what if you didn't? Um, Elie Wiesel never mentioned gas chambers. Remember, with him, it was flames of pit. It was a uh, flaming pits tower. You know, uh, and you know, f- fire flames going up fifty, sixty feet in the air, and people people being tossed in the flames. He never mentioned gas chambers. Was he a Holocaust denier? Um right. Steven Spielberg. Well, that, that's generalist. Actually, has showers. Operated
0: showers. <laughs> yeah, I know it's ridiculous, and I mean many such cases, many movies, you know, made depicting these fake narratives that have been even debunked by the by official quote unquote Holocaust scholars. Well, and I mean that that goes really the heart of the whole free speech debate. I mean, you cannot there is no such thing as free speech anywhere if you can't criticize Jews, and that's the one group that you're not allowed to to, mm-hmm. to criticize. Do you remember um, the Malaysian Prime Minister Mahathir hmm he actually openly said that at, at, yes. at, during a speech. I think it was at Columbia University, where he basically says that um, if you can't be anti-Semitic, then you're not living in a free country. And what he meant, of course, by "quote unquote" anti-Semitic is just, again, being able to openly discuss these these issues relating to Jews rationally, intelligently. Um, and, and that's the thing. I mean, they they make it seem like you know that there's it's it's illegitimate or, or inherently hateful or, you know, it's some conspiracy theory to, 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 to talk about Jews and to talk about their agenda when in fact it's actually very legitimate. Again, this really th- – these issues really go to the heart of, of understanding the modern world that we live in. You know, you can't understand the world that we live in without – Understanding the role that Jews play and the influence that they that they have in yeah, society, yeah. both contemporarily and historically.
1: Well, the nature of media, the nature of entertainment, movies, Hollywood. Uh, can you criticize it? Yes. Well, essential to that nature is the fact that Jews have an influence in this medium, in that media. Uh, so then you have to criticize Jews and how they've exploited those you know those positions. Um, you know, uh, uh pornography. Uh, how do you not address something like pornography and not deal with Jews? You know, or communism or Bolshevism, you know, or, or feminism or abortion. I, I mean, last year they, uh, over 400 Jewish organizations came out and said that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. Well, that's, if it's a fundamental Jewish value and you're against abortion, then you better, you have to be able to engage Jews on the matter then. Right, <laughs> you know, because they're they're actively involved in promoting it. It's just like you know, and even from a religious perspective, if you even from a standpoint of, of uh, theological, uh, you know, uh, debating or even conversion, in order to uh, convert, you have to criticize it first. Because what's the point of you uh, uh, urging them to convert if you don't believe they're wrong or they have some sort of theological, you know, error? Uh, and of course, that's you know, criti- Christianity, Christianity always criticized Jews. You know, it's nothing wrong with criticizing Jews. Now, you could say that what you know, originally the idea of anti-Semitism was that you believed there was some sort of genetic thing; they were genetically predisposed to these things. And it was like a, be,
0: a racial thing, yeah. A racial yeah. thing yeah. came out yeah. of like
1: Germany, late 19th century. That sort of thing. And there's a lot of, you know, because you you associate it often. If a group behaves a certain way for a millennia, it's going to appear genetic. <laughs> <laughs> For all intents and purposes, it might be at that point, right? Because it's so ingrained. Um, but strictly speaking, it's anti. There's a difference between anti-Jewish, and anti-Semitic. They're the ones that have, have confused the term. And it's like, if you want to call criticism anti-Semitism, fine. Because uh, you know, I, I, you know, if your definition of anti-Semitism is just uh, you know a perception of Jews behaving poorly and and um, and uh, 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 being critical of Jews. Well then, the the whole world is indeed full of anti-Semites because it's full of people who have opinions on 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 you know on this group of people that that they, that they, that they have to deal with, you know, and often deal uh, behave very poorly as they openly talk about it. You know, that's the Talmudic strategy: is to behave poorly to uh, actually increase group cohesion among Jews. That's what the rabbis promote.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and then all the big. You know, Jewish billionaires and plutocrats and and, and bigwigs, you know, funnel their money into Jewish organizations and create campaigns to commemorate the Holocaust, for example, or to raise awareness of anti-Semitism. I -hmm. just saw an article the other day. um, Robert Kraft, who's a Jew that owns the New England Patriots, I Mm -hmm. believe, um you know he's been funding these anti-semitism campaigns for a very long time to the tune of millions of dollars a year yeah. and and you know people like him they get up and talk about anti-semitism is it's it's terrifying did you see that uh, the, I just, I just saw a clip of it on Twitter the other day of um that rabbi that's close with Robert F Kennedy uh, Botek Botich or something Oh yeah 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 where he's in Times Square and he's like literally saying this is the closest I've ever experience, you know, Nazi Germany in 1930s like comparing Nazi Germany to like Times Square in modern America. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. absurd. And and that gets to this I, this hysterical mindset that these people have where they they genuinely believe these things. They genuinely project these things into the world and get most people to go along with them because they simply can't think for themselves and they buy into this 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 mind control propaganda, that's that's basically what it is. They use these these narratives just to to prevent anybody from thinking critically. I mean, I think that's what all this atrocity propaganda relating to Hamas and this whole October 7th situation is all about. We're seeing all these Hollywood people get involved in this, promoting these atrocity tale hoaxes. And, you know, we, we can't really show you any evidence for it. You just have to believe us. And,. You know, it's just absurd. And, the, and again, this is the same strategy that they've employed with the, the 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 Holocaust narrative. You know, it's just all this eyewitness testimony. It's these very horrific narratives that really attack people on a really base emotional level.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that they'll use that narrative of the Second World War to justify, uh, uh, you know, basically the crackdown on free speech or to pathologize any legitimate criticism of Jewish influence in the society. The same way that the um, – that whole era was characterized, the narrative came out of you know the Third Reich and the rise of the, the Nazis. Well, did, did Jews play any role in that? Did they behave in certain ways in the 20s and 30s that caused the reaction? Why did they want the Jews – out? why did the Germans want the Jews out of Germany? The, you know, why did the National Socialists take over and work to get the – Jews worked with other Israelis to get the Jews out of Germany with the transfer agreement and all that? That's something that's kind of you know, forgotten. Uh, well, because people wanted, to, people didn't want them around because of the way they were behaving and the things they had done. They accept no
0: responsibility for that.
1: You know, the, you know sort of the the, uh, the the degeneracy of Weimar period. You know, uh, that well, all was,
0: all that, yeah, all that is totally left out of mainstream history books. It's totally left out of the, yeah. the mainstream um, educational narrative about World War II. You're never allowed to actually read what Hitler had to say or, or hear what he had to say. Mm-hmm. Or, or not only Hitler but just the National Socialist government well, in general?
1: Well, yeah, let say you start voicing a concern or criticism about your society being controlled by Jewish billionaires. Are you an anti-Semite? But then you have these examples of these billionaires telling college campuses what can and cannot be said on campus using their money to pressure people, to bend, you know, to bend their knee. Uh, well, that's – aren't you confirming what people's suspicions are? This isn't a problem of having oligarchs run things, especially having oligarchs that are that are that are you know malevolent, or have uh, contempt for the host society. Does uh, you know, just, just simply having money enable you to you know, to to do these things? To buy up the, uh, universities, to buy up museums and then destroy the museums, to give money to moticello and have it turn into an anti-white, you know, uh, uh, a, a celebration of anti-white uh, rhetoric and, and propaganda. You know, the, right now, DEI, white, white privilege, yeah, white privilege. All of, you know, this is what they do now. Now, now I think it's just now, I think I read yesterday that um, uh, what's his name, the former ADL leader, Abe,
0: Abe Foxman came out against DEI against because, yes. because now because Jews are being equated with <laughs> whites, yeah,
1: because Jews are being identified. That's funny that he's he, well now DEI is on the chopping block. Like for the first time, this Claudine Gay or Claudia Gay, she's getting criticized for the while, For the longest time, she's been untouchable because she's a black female, right? And that's the type they, they want. To- she's, the,
0: she's the Harvard president that was up there yeah. in, in Congress, yeah.
1: yeah. Yep. And now she's uh, trying. You know, all of a sudden, her plagiarism matters. You know, all the other plagiarism, you know, that, that is prevalent among black academics, doesn't matter. Martin Luther King's plagiarism doesn't matter, but her plagiarism matters. You know, um, because she she inadvertently stepped on the toes of some wealthy Jews, and it's clear to all to see. Oh, there's a protest in Harvard over Palestine. The, the healthy response is suck it up, suck it up, rich Jews. You live in a free country. No, what do they want to do? They want to shut everything down, threatening their money. You know that they may, You know that they've made by hook and by crook in our country. You know, uh, uh, it's like Lord, uh, Lloyd Blankfein telling, uh, or what's his name. Um, uh, uh, the guy who runs BlackRock,
0: Larry Fink, yeah, Larry
1: Fink. I mean, it's you know, uh, why are you uh, who I mean, who elected you king? <laughs> it tells how we should live, and but that you're doing it through these corporations, like uh, you know, through environmental social governance, you know,
0: right. Yeah, well, that's that's the way they think. That's the way they operate. The whole world revolves around them. And it, mm-hmm. and again, yeah, it, it goes to this hysterical mindset. Um I do want to talk about a couple more like domestic issues um before we wrap up here. Um one, I mean, I'm sure you saw the the Colorado ruling um saying oh, Trump yeah. is is <laughs> ineligible to to hold the office of president, therefore he cannot be on the Republican primary ballot. I would assume that people could still write him in. Um, So, I mean, you know, I'm sure people could still write him in, but um, I think that was another huge escalation in this lawfare campaign being waged against him, which has been going on for a very long time. We actually just wrapped up uh, the most recent issue of American Free Press and the front page article I wrote um, deals with this. And um, I don't know if you saw the, the people behind it. Of course, it's it's this I, I think the guys I think I think it's a, a Jewish organization um, uh, citizens for responsible what is it citizens for it's called crew is the the acronym um, but it's this like far left um, you know sort of deep state type mm-hmm. operation the Trump campaign um, in a statement alleged that they're funded by Soros that wouldn't surprise me I haven't seen that confirmed anywhere yes yeah, it's this
1: citizens for responsibility and ethics
0: in ethics and government, or something like that, yeah. or in Washington, I think. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head the, the full name of the organization, but it, it's it's an organization that's been in existence, uh, I think, going back to like 2003. It's it's basically this far left partisan um, deep state deep state operation engaged in lawfare to obtain political objectives. Um, I, to me, it's like another form of terrorism. <laughs> I mean, basically, it's it's terrorism through the law. Which is, I guess, what lawfare is. Uh, so they were they were behind this uh, this this campaign against Trump in Colorado. And of course, you see states like California saying that they're going to implement the same thing because of this ruling. The Trump campaign is, of course, going to um, appeal this to the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll see where that goes. Uh, but I mean, again, this is just part of a, a long-running campaign to undermine his agenda. To stop. I mean, that, that's what his whole first administration was all about. I mean, these people openly were sabotaging everything he was trying to do. And sadly, he went along with a lot of it and made a lot of really dumb decisions, which makes me question his judgment and his seriousness, his fitness to be the commander in chief and to actually implement this America first agenda that he so powerfully um, articulates that that resonates with, with millions of Americans around the country. Yet when, when he was actually in office, he would just totally failed to really get anything accomplished, and I think a lot of it was his own fault. I mean, of course, he had the entire system working against him, including organizations like this who were, you know, I think I read that literally like two days after Trump got in the White House, this organization had filed like three separate lawsuits against him and against people working on his campaign and just, you know, trying to tie him up in the courts, Mm -hmm. and they've been pursuing that strategy from ever since then. So anyways, I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on on that situation, on on, on Trump in general, on the the 2024 election that's coming up next year? It's going to be, you know, really interesting to say the least. I mean, they already stole the last election. I wouldn't wouldn't put anything past him at this point.
1: Well, uh, the the ruling Colorado was basically stating that there is a uh, ban on insurrection in the Fourteenth Amendment. I think Section Three. And just because Donald Trump was accused of engaging in insurrection by a few talking heads on television, a few political hacks, that he was guilty of insurrection. Ironically, there denying Donald Trump the due process that that very amendment supposedly guarantees <laughs> in, right in exactly process. yeah simply stating some of course what happened on January 6 was not an insurrection nor has it been legally found to be an insurrection nor does it meet the definition of an insurrection it was a protest that got raucous and we got raucous and riotous probably because of federal uh, you know, uh, informants you know uh, in, involved in that process the FBI stas Eldo been held to account on how many FBI Assets were there that day, so the, the situation was definitely being manipulated. But it was a protest to challenge election fraud. For better, whatever the, the millions of people that showed up, the hundreds of thousands that got around the Capitol, you know, uh, thought the election was uh, was stolen. Donald Trump was denied his second term, and for good reason. The, the election was a mess. You had the mail-in balloting, you had all the shenanigans in these notor- notoriously corrupt cities like Milwaukee, Atlanta, and Philadelphia, you know. <laughs> you know, so, you know, and then, you know, the last mi- late or early morning turnarounds where, you know, suddenly hundreds of thousands of votes came in for Joe Biden, gate and gave him the states and delivered the states to. Them. So there's a lot to question there. Uh um, you know, elect- challenging elections and declaring election fraud is a is a national pastime in American politics. I think the last Republican president to win an election without being accused of stealing, it, I think, it was George H. W. Bush, 1988. So, uh, nineteen eighty-eight. So, obviously, famously in two thousand, Bush Gore two thousand four, you had problems. Even I acknowledged some of those problems, like in Ohio. I am not; it wasn't like it was like it was out of realm of possibility that the GOP was was capable of, of engaging in, in, in electoral fraud or shenanigans. We all, uh, of course, 2016. There was a riot on during uh, Donald Trump's inauguration. You know, I think millions of dollars in property damage was done. You know, uh, so Antifa rioted. uh,
0: That was the whole. That was the whole disrupt J20. Yes. Which was like literally an open insurrection, an open call for violence and destruction and sabotage. Yeah. And a prevention, you know, they and were trying to prevent Trump from
1: there were calls being not inaugurated. To, there were calls in the House of Representatives not to certify the Electoral College. You know, yeah. The, of the double standard.
0: To... I mean, yeah, the double standards on display are just it's, it's, breathtaking. It's breathtaking. It's a, legitimate, it's a legitimate function to
1: challenge electoral college if there's a problem. The whole point of having a certification process is, uh, is that there may be a, a time, might, may be a situation where it cannot be certified because the way the elections are held in the various states. It's also legitimate to lobby the state representatives, the state legislatures who enjoy a uh, you know, uh, 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 primary authority in determining uh, the manner in which electors are chosen. So when a problem does arise, like this – we heard about this in 2000, long ago. I remember hearing about this – is that American people do not have a right to vote for president. There is no constitutional right to vote for president. You vote for an elector, and the state legislature decides how those electors are chosen. They can appoint electors. Okay, So they have ultimate authority in here. And that's why when Donald Trump was lobbying legis- you know, state legislatures in Michigan – and you know, I think at the time, Pennsylvania, Michigan um, – in uh, 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 Georgia, all had Republican legislatures, so the Republican Party had the institutional power to reverse those elect- to reverse to reverse the tainted results, uh, and it would have been completely legitimate given given the problems. This isn't explained to the American people, of course, because you know they want all the confusion. Uh, but nevertheless, it wasn't an insurrection; it was a protest. Regarding and guess, remember, this is coming off this is 2021, January 2021. We, American people put up uh, an entire summer of cities burning, antifa and BLM protesters, then being encouraged by the soon-to-be vice president Kamala Harris. The Democratic Party backed them up. Donald Trump was chased into a bunker, apparently. <laughs> no one called that an insurrection. The, and, and no one called that the insurrection. I guess it was much closer to an insurrection. And we do know that throughout the run-up to the election, that we do know that the deep state, if you will, or the FBI and uh, the other organizations worked together with uh, colluded to manipulate the flow of information with big tech and, and, uh, and Facebook and and Twitter at the time to uh, cover things up like like uh, like uh, 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 the uh, president's son's uh, laptop which revealed all types of sc- and you know this is a scandal involving Ukraine which eventually it, it, it became a war in Ukraine now mm-hmm. we have a president. Whose, whose family is implicated? in All types of scandals involving Ukraine, and there's a war there now. So know yeah, it's really consequential. You know, but it was suppressed by the FBI colluding with Twitter, which is a violation of the First Amendment. And, um, so you know, talk about insurrection, talk about the system being corrupted, all that's there. So the, this ruling, I think, doesn't. It, they made this ruling. Uh, it's not enforced until it goes to the Supreme Court. It's probably overturned. It uh, apparently I. Just yesterday, the Michigan Supreme Court on Wednesday rejected a similar effort uh, to remove Donald Trump from, from the ballot. Uh, so, and of course, in Arizona and Minnesota have also rejected this effort. But yeah, you're, just an example of them just again just trying to manipulate the process, process use lawfare and any excuse to try to get them off the ballot. And it, it, you know, it just shows just how how far things are coming. Also, just how, cor- how corrupt the system is now. You think? Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I mean the the, the Trump campaign basically said, said exactly that, um, and and it, he appears to be more or less dominating the polls. He, he's definitely dominating the the GOP. Um, you know, if you look at any of the well, polls, until, with, until with all
1: anything. this happened, wasn't DeSantis like beating Trump?
0: <laughs> in the in the in
1: oh, the,
0: I was I was under the impression that Trump was like far away ahead of, no, of I'm everybody saying, prior,
1: like this time last year. Prior to all this lawfare and all these indictments, DeSantis was considered sort of the, uh, the Trump light, right? You know, the, the kind of the one who, because he just come off that landslide victory in Florida with all the COVID stuff. Uh, but all this anti-Trump stuff that the Biden administration is engaged in, is, and the state prosecutors has made him, you know, skyrocket in the polls. He's like. Like forty-five points ahead of anybody
0: else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But
1: prior to that, it was like it was a tight field, and there was some talk of DeSantis kind of because uh, of all the, you know, people they don't want the, the back Trump having too much political baggage. But now he's, you know, it, it's Trump all the time now in the news, and so now they've made him the
0: front runner. You know, at the very time that Trump well, pushed him, uh, off the ballot. Yeah, no, Well, it's interesting, be, and, and I, I actually interviewed uh, Don Jeffries the other day, I think I mentioned that before we started recording. And and, and I, one of the questions I had for him is like, how, wh- what are the Democrats going to run on in 2024? I mean, it was sort of like the same situation as we approached the 2020 election. It's like, you know, how is anybody going to seriously challenge Trump and the Democrats? I mean, especially Joe Biden. He had no support. He barely campaigned. Mm-hmm. He had no enthusiasm. And yet somehow he miraculously receives the most votes in any election in u.s history i mean it's talk about gaslighting and just absurd mm-hmm. narratives that were just for you know expected to, to blindly accept it's sort of the same situation as we head into 2024 i mean trump has all the support he has all the momentum he still has a lot of you know diehard grassroots people that love him and and you know, blindly support him. I mean, I sort of have a a more nuanced view of Trump. I think I'd probably vote for him in the next election if it came down to it. But I certainly have a lot of questions about him and a lot of criticism of him. And I really don't expect much of him, but I would much prefer him in the White House rather than Joe Biden. But it's, it's sort of the same situation. I mean, the Democrats have no enthusiasm, no support, no i mean nobody likes Biden. Nobody likes any of these disastrous policies. The country's a mess, the border's wide open. We're being invaded. There's two wars raging that we're actively facilitating and financing. I mean, what could they possibly run on?
1: Yeah, I, but then again if they have the, again with mail-in voting and you know, and it, if it's, if it's considered an insurrection to challenge election results, then you can just, you know, Cheat all you want, and just mere act of question makes you an insurrectionist,
0: <laughs> which is what the chilling effect
1: of all this has, you know.
0: Like you said, it, going- it makes yeah, it, it makes me wonder like how much are the American people going to put up with? I mean, mm-hmm. we put up with so much for so long. I mean, certainly like it just in in recent years with COVID, and then the twenty twenty, then the the BLM riots that you mentioned, and this whole color revolution that played out over the course of 2020 and the stolen election and now Biden I mean I guess we're willing to put up with with pretty much anything at this point it's absolutely pathetic Well yeah as Thomas
1: Jefferson allegedly wrote uh, you know it's a tendency to put the long train of abuses
0: <laughs> Yeah exactly
1: before you, before you do something about it uh the problem is there's no real uh you know Republican party isn't providing any anything close to real opposition to this Um, and so there's, uh, those who are discontented or have a problem with the current situation have no real representation or or political agency, at least at the national level, to to deal with it. Um, and now you have a situation where the federal government and it's very often, many of its many offices has been taken over by what are, are, you know, basically Bolsheviks. And, and so that's what, like, that's what, you know, With the Attorney General, is he's a Bolshevik, and he doesn't any any regard, to even putting the pretense of of following the law, or you know. know. Uh, So, uh, what do you do in a situation like that? You know, uh, well, you need someone who's going to come in and clean house, and you can't do that within the you know the 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 normal political electoral process or the legal process because they've corrupted the legal system. So you're dealing with sort of like a, a revolutionary moment, or something like a, like a Franco moment, where a strongman steps in and just kind of who isn't who who isn't feckless, and he deals with it. He, he makes the friend and friends enemies distinction and gets rid of the enemies, because after all that's what they're doing, and they're the other ones that started it, because the other ones no longer believe in something like uh, loyal opposition, and it appears that now that we're, that we're in a phase where they're trying to kind of close the deal, phase things out. That's why you have the country being overwhelmed. That you have the crazy, you know, economic policies, fiscal, running the debt up, and all that. Just, it's the looting phase. And um, as long as these people are in power, uh, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse because that's kind of what their job is: is to make things worse.
0: Absolutely, that's why things are getting yep. worse. You know? To make things worse and to advance Israel's agenda in the Middle East mm-hmm. and Jewry's agenda, agenda in America. <laughs> that's that's exactly what what the priorities are for the, the people in our government no doubt about that well tim i want to wrap up um and and i hate to sort of wrap up on a sour note um and, and i think this is something that we've talked about in the past what and you know and, and anybody that's listened to your podcast knows that y- you regularly deal with these very heavy topics um how do you, how do you do it like what gives you hope what what sort of like inspires you as we kind of wrap up this year and move into the next year well, I don't know. In, I don't know if you saw that question coming. I don't mean to put you on the spot. I'm just, I'm just curious because it is something that, you know, I, I hate to be so down. Da- and, and I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, this stuff is obviously sort of depressing, I guess, and it's very difficult to deal with. But, um, ultimately for me, I mean, I, I have, you know, just total faith in God. And, 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 uh, who knows exactly why all this craziness is happening in the world? But, um, that, that's certainly what drives me is just knowing that we're standing for the truth. And, and, and. You know, putting our, our, our names out there and, and and willing to to confront these subjects that really go to the heart of, of the state of the world. I think. Yeah, at the end
1: of the day, you have to do what's right and speak the truth and to deal with the consequences. You know, um, cause that's the only way uh, anything's ever going to improve. And yeah, it is in God's hands. Uh, at the end of the day, so it's uh, it's one of these things where I think if you look at something like the news some of the, the hysteria. That's actually kind of good news because things have been crazy for the longest time. They've just been sort of papered over. Now they're becoming obvious and even normal people are, and I mean, by normal, I mean, average people are beginning to notice. So when they, when you, you, you talk about Jewish hysteria about spike in anti-Semitism, well, that's actually a good sign because if it's any, if that, if that reflects reality anyway, any way, there's an increase in criticism and that's a good thing. And they're behaving in ways that are irrational and are reckless, uh, which is their undoing. And so that's, you know, we'll just have to go through that to get to the other side. Uh, it's one of those things where you they're gonna have, it's gonna ha- there's gonna have to be a, cri- a moment of crisis in order for something to change. Um.
0: So. Yeah, I agree and and I think um like doing what we're doing with the podcast and and raising awareness of this is is certainly paying dividends. I mean it's it's you know certainly a, a, a much more needs to be done, but I think we have made tremendous progress. I mean just since I've been doing podcasts, you know there's a lot more people that are tuning into our, our alternative independent sources like this and you know really sort of connecting the dots and recognizing what's going on, but we certainly well, have thing is, much is, more work to do. The one thing is you don't want to follow the rhetoric of the political class
1: because they're completely detached from the American people, which means the right. regime itself has a crisis of legitimacy they're completely detached you saw the antics on Capitol Hill with those hearings, but they you know Stephanie she just looked awful, looked irrational and crazy, you know, and so uh, what portion of the thinking public is out there? They're, they're seeing what's going on. And yeah,
0: and yeah, and and that's that's been reflected numerous times, certainly in recent years, in, in public opinion polls. I mean, no one has any trust in the mainstream mass media anymore. Nobody has any trust in Congress, mm-hmm. in the federal government. I mean, they've really lost any sort of credibility in in the eyes of most people. And most people see the mainstream mass media for what it is. It's it's basically a a unobjective partisan operation. It's not there to provide you with, with information and and legitimate perspectives and analysis. Mm -hmm. It's there to to program you, to deceive you, to cover up the crimes of the deep state and the criminals running the government. And, and, and that's, that's, that's what its purpose is. And and people do recognize it. I think more and more people anyways. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's, that's progress because, you know, Although uh, in the past, it may, uh, you know, the, the situation might have seemed pe- more peaceful or quiescent, uh, a lot of things were happening. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just, so again, it's there. There's a, a the, the great awakening has to be preceded by a great noticing.
0: You know, right, so. right. Well, Tim, hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's always good to catch up with you. It's been far too long. Keep up the great work with your podcast, thanks. which of course I will have linked. Yeah, when I post this, when I post this podcast on my site. And happy new year, sir. We will talk again in the new year.
1: Merry Christmas, happy new year.
0: Okay, thanks a lot, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.